0: Today on the Matt Wells Show, the media has identified the real victims of the massacre of Christian children by a trans shooter. The real victims, of course, are trans people somehow. Meanwhile, Nashville police are refusing to release the shooter's manifesto. Could there possibly be any valid reason to withhold the full truth about this crime from the public? Well, no, absolutely not. Also, the press secretary for the governor of Arizona responded to the shooting with a tweet threatening to kill more, quote unquote, transphobes. So far, nobody has apologized or been fired for this. And Josh Hawley calls for a hate crime investigation into the shooting. Even if we think that the hate crime category shouldn't exist as a legal category, can we still demand that this be categorized as one? I think we can. And I'll talk about that and much more today on the Matt Walsh Show. Inflation has consequences. The recent surge in gold prices is directly tied to an extremely volatile market. This is why gold has historically been a great hedge against the stock market and against inflation. The only company I trust to help you diversify into gold is Birch Gold Group. Diversification has never been more important. Precious metals will always have inherent value. Gold is a tangible and finite resource uncontrolled by any single government or financial institution. As such, they cannot simply be printed on a government's whim like paper currency can, Birch Gold can help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in physical precious metals. Text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold today. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold is the company I trust to protect my future and yours. That's Walsh to 989898 today. In many ways, the response from Nashville police to the mass shooting by trans terrorist at a Christian school here in town has uh, been admirable. Um, that starts, of course, with their physical response, their emergency response to the shooting itself. Yesterday, we saw the, the harrowing body cam footage. A group of officers, obviously well-trained, highly skilled, made their way into the building, clearing rooms as they went, eventually confronting the shooter and quickly dispatching her and neutralizing the threat. Now, we greatly overuse the term hero these days, just like we overuse so many other uh, terms, uh, effectively rendering the labels meaningless. And that's a shame because it's, it's a term that would actually apply in this case to those cops. They are, in every sense, heroes. But then after the shooting, they continued to, um, the police did, uh, continue to handle the situation with great transparency and forthrightness. Uh, the police chief has been direct and clear clear with his answers during his press conferences they released the body cam footage. They released the security camera footage of the shooting, the shooter entering the building. Um, they've provided a lot of information. But there is one glaring omission. And it's an omission that becomes all the more glaring considering how transparent they've been about everything else. The trans shooter wrote a detailed manifesto. And we know about that because the cops told us, apparently explaining what she was going to do, what her plans were and why she was doing it. They have not allowed us to see the manifesto. A couple of days later, we still have not seen the manifesto. And according to reports yesterday, we may never see it. This is from the Daily Caller, quote, Nashville police will not be releasing the manifesto of the deceased Covenant School shooting suspect, a police spokesperson told the Daily Caller News Foundation on Tuesday. Nashville Metro Police Department announced that they had found writings from 28-year-old transgender suspect Audrey Hale's home on Monday that indicated a calculated and planned attack, according to an NMPD press release. The police spokesperson told the DCNF Tuesday that the department had no intentions of releasing the documents to the public anytime soon, citing the ongoing investigation into Hale. Quote, No, we will not be releasing the manifesto during an open investigation, the spokesperson said. The police spokesperson did not say for certain whether or not the manifesto would be released in the future after the investigation was closed, and restated that due to the ongoing nature of the situation, there was no intention by law enforcement to release the documents. Well, this is just completely unacceptable, and also incoherent. They're investigating a crime committed by a dead assailant, and the person is thankfully dead. That there's no conceivable reason, at least not any valid conceivable reason, why that investigation would be impeded by allowing the public to see these documents. Okay, And if I can't even imagine what it would be, but if there are a couple of things in there that for some reason, it would, if, if, we, if that was published, it would impede the investigation, then you, you could talk about redacting certain elements of it. Now, even redacting the documents can be highly problematic. But my point is, they're saying we can't see any of it. We can't see even a single line of it. And that doesn't make any sense. Uh, We have a right to know why this happened. Now, the why seems rather obvious, but we should also see it laid out in writing if it was, and apparently it was. And we have a right to know what or who the other targets were supposed to be. We can either, just like with anything else, we can either be left to speculate in the dark or we can be given the full truth. And as we've seen time and time again, the speculating in the dark option doesn't help anyone. And we know that because this is the option that the powers that be uh, so often choose. Now, when I say it doesn't help anyone, maybe I shouldn't say that, because uh, what I mean is that it doesn't help the public. It doesn't serve the best interests of the community. It's not good for society when vital truths are withheld from us, leaving us to speculate and assume and come up with theories. But in this case, it does serve the interests of LGBT activist groups who are actually actively campaigning to prevent the public from ever seeing the manifesto. Newsweek reports, quote, calls for police to release the manifesto that authorities say was written ahead of Monday's uh, Nashville, Nashville school shooting has prompted a concern among LGBTQ groups who caution against the publication of such a document. Quote, it should not be published, Jordan Budd, the executive director of Children of Lesbians and Gays Everywhere, told Newsweek. The focus should be on how this was able to happen in the first place. There should not be such easy access to deadly weaponry. Charles Moran, the uh, national president of Log Cabin Republicans, a GOP organization that advocates for equal rights for LGBTQ plus Americans, also told Newsweek that there are serious consequences for the public release of the manifesto. Laura McGuinness, a spokesperson for PFLAG, agreed, telling Newsweek that um, publication of these documents would increase the risk of contagion. She said that while the manifesto would help law enforcement and policymakers identify potential warning signs to prevent future tragedies, ultimately, the contents don't change the outcome of the tragedy. Quote, regardless of the shooter's intentions, the real issue here is the ease of access to deadly weapons in Tennessee and elsewhere. Bud said, adding, quote, all children, no matter who their parents are or how they identify, should feel safe and supported at school. That includes a world free from gun violence. Now, you'll notice, uh, shockingly, that these LGBT groups are mysteriously silent about these kinds of concerns after shootings by white supremacists. I mean, they're more than happy for those manifestos to be published, and they always are. But in this case, they caution against it. The only mildly surprising thing about this is that they they haven't really bothered to come up with a plausible excuse for this glaring inconsistency and hypocrisy. Instead, they essentially confess to the truth. They want the discussion around the shooting to remain focused on a politically useful issue like gun control. Don't tell us why this happened, they cry. "Uh, That'll make it more difficult for us to use the tragedy for political gain. Most of all, they're desperate to protect their victim narrative. I mean, this is their most potent political weapon. And uh, more than that, it is the foundation of their entire ideology. They must protect at all costs the hallucinatory notion that LGBT people, and in particular trans people, are oppressed and marginalized. And you know they're the ones being targeted, not the other way around. A manifesto full of anti-Christian ramblings from a trans terrorist psychopath would be a powerful counterexample to this idea. So powerful that they can't allow it to see the light of day. Of course, even without the manifesto, we still have the simple and terrible fact that a trans mass killer slaughtered children at a Christian school. That's all we need to know, or all we should need to know. Yet the left, helped, helped along by the lack of transparency around the manifesto, is still clinging to its preferred victim narrative. They insist that that even though a trans person murdered Christian children, the real victims are trans people. This seems to be the consensus, as you might expect, on TikTok. Watch.
1: So about the tragic school shooting that happened today at a private Christian school in Tennessee, um, the shooter was born a biological female, and they um, went by he, him on their LinkedIn. So they're, they're painting the narrative that you know they're trying to blame transgender people you know the whole thing but every other school shooting that's happened in the last i don't know decade have been white men and many of them identify as Christians. So let's not go there. But I do want to say that expect more of this kind of chaos and destruction when you bring fascism into this country. The more you don't love people, the more you shame people, the more you treat people like they're untouchable in society. What do you expect people to do? Of course, the the shadow inside of them is going to be so angry and retaliate in revenge that's what happens when you decide to try to control people through legislation you try to harm people through legislation it's like the world needs a lot more love not more hate
0: no uh first of all all of the school shooters for the last decade have not been white men And as for your question, what do uh, we expect people to do? What do we expect? What do we expect a trans person to do if she's upset about not being affirmed or whatever? What do we expect? Well, um, we expect her to not murder children. Let's start there. That is a basic standard of behavior that we hold everyone to. It's not even the bare minimum. I mean, that is a bar so low that it's still sitting on the ground. We expect her to refrain from killing nine-year-olds. We expect, you know, a lot more from people, actually. But yes, we do expect, to begin with, that they act like human beings and not murderous demons. But this has been the prevailing message on the left. Yesterday, we, uh, we talked about a group of trans activists called the Trans Resistance Network, who published a statement claiming that the shooter was a victim of her own shooting. They lamented that, quote, life for transgender people is very difficult and made more difficult in the preceding months by a virtual avalanche of anti-trans legislation. And they reason that she felt that she she had to commit the shooting in order to quote, be seen. Now, um, according to these people also, the shooter's problems are compounded by the fact that she's being posthumously misgendered, along with perhaps the greater problem that she's burning in hell. but, uh, But along with that, she's being misgendered. Here's TikTok again.
2: Aiden Hale, that's the name of the Nashville shooter. This video is about to be very uncomfortable for a lot of us. It's very uncomfortable for me to talk about, but we need to talk about it. Aiden did a very horrendous thing, period, point blank. We need pew pew reform in our country, but the way that the media and the police are misgendering and dead naming Aiden is quite concerning. It's also concerning that I had to go to the Telegraph from UK to actually get Aiden's chosen name. It's upsetting that constantly it is she her pronouns that is incredibly frustrating because even though they did this horrible thing does not mean that we get to to do those things that's a boundary and we can hold people accountable without being transphobic even for some of the most horrendous things so while you're watching this also watch for transphobia because that's very clearly coming out
0: Mm. you know uh Just to be clear, uh, her dead name is Audrey, because she's dead, thank God. So really, they're both her dead names, I guess. Yeah, she says that uh, even though the shooter murdered children, that doesn't mean that we get to use grammatically correct pronouns in reference to her. Well, Well, actually, it does. In fact, we get to use grammatically correct pronouns about people, even if they don't commit mass shootings. The mass shooting gives us permission to say lots of other things about her, That she was a monstrous, bloodthirsty, murdering, worthless piece of garbage, for example. But as for the pronouns, we get to uh, do that regardless. Actually, listen to this. Check this out. This is going to shock you. We get to say whatever we want to or about her or you or anyone else. That's what we get to do. What you don't get to do is control our words or our minds. I can say whatever I want about anyone, and I will. And I can say whatever I want about any trans person, and I will. They do not get to dictate anything to me. That's what they don't get to do. I talk about them according to how I see them and what I think about them, and according to what is actually true. I don't talk about them according to how they see themselves. I am using the filter of my own mind and of reality I am not using the filter of their minds. That's the way that this works. But the shooter herself isn't the only trans victim here, according to the left. There have been many headlines like this from ABC, quote, anti-transgender sentiment follows Nashville shooting. Conservative political figures focused on the shooter's reported trans identity. And then this from NBC, fear pervades Tennessee's trans community amid focus on Nashville shooters' gender identity. And here's a bit from that NBC article. It says, Within 10 minutes of police saying that the suspect was transgender, the hashtag #transterrorism trended on Twitter. Around the same time, Republican lawmakers, including Senator J.D. Vance and a conservative firebrand Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, insinuated in social media posts that the shooter's gender identity played a role in the shooting. Well, no, that wasn't the, well, they may have insinuated, but actually it began with the police chief who, who strongly suggested that. Um, Anyway, it says, and by Tuesday morning, the cover of the Rupert Murdoch-owned New York Post read, quote, transgender killer targets Christian school. Well, yeah, because that's what happened. Oh, so, so apparently what we're learning here is the New York Post had a headline that's just accurate. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Quote, we're terrified for the LGBTQ community here. Kim Spoon, a trans activist based in Knoxville, Tennessee, said more blood's going to be shed and it's not going to be shed in a school. Denise Sadler, a drag performer who's transgender, said that she had already hired four armed guards before Monday's shooting to secure a drag show that she's hosting at a gay bar in Nashville this weekend, she with uh, big air quotes around that by the way, following the anti-trans rhetoric spawned by the shooting. Sadler said, quote unquote, she is not planning to hire eight. You don't know if the shooter's gender identity is going to trigger a community of people who already hated us to come and try to shoot us to prove a point, Sadler said. At the end of the day, there's a lot of hurt going on. There's a lot of anger going on. There's a lot of confusion going on. Aislinn Bailey, the acting president of Tri-Cities Transgender, a trans-led and advocacy group based in Johnson City, Tennessee, said that her, quote-unquote her, initial reaction to news that the suspect was transgender was fear. I knew that as soon as anyone mentioned that, it was immediately going to become the center focus instead of what should be the focus, and that's gun violence in this country, Bailey said. Well, that really sums it up, doesn't it? That sums it up. Six innocent people were massacred, and the first thought, the first thought, the first thing that he thought about, uh, the first thing this trans activist thought about was how this would affect him. His very first thought was concerned for himself after hearing that three children and three school uh, staff members were murdered. Forget about the fact that the fears make no sense. Okay, trans-terrorism should be a cause of concern for those of us who oppose the trans movement, not for trans people themselves. And even aside from that, the narcissism is once again the point. Always points back to that. This is a movement of self-worship and self-obsession, a movement full of people who cannot see beyond themselves, people who cannot see the rest of the world, do not acknowledge the existence really of other human beings. Because they're constantly staring in the mirror, even if it is uh, oftentimes more of a funhouse mirror. Constantly staring back into their own egos, obsessed with their own emotions and their own need for affirmation. That is what we learn here, though it is a lesson that we have already learned many times. Now let's get to our five headlines. With the current rate of inflation, prices of essential goods are not going to be going down anytime soon. It's more important now than ever to start looking at ways to cut costs. You've heard me talk countless times about supporting companies that support your same values, which is why I switched to Pure Talk. Pure Talk is the best anti-woke company that uses the same nationwide networks as major carriers, so you'll get the same reliable coverage that you're used to, without any of the wokeness added on top of it. With a range of affordable plans to choose from, you can uh, find the perfect option for your needs. Get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just $30 a month. Switch over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Their U.S.-based customer service team makes the switch really easy. Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love your service. They're backing up with 100% money-back guarantee. You can go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Walsh to save 50% off on your first month. That's puretalk.com. Promo code Walsh. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Senator Josh Hawley is uh, demanding that the shooting be investigated as a hate crime. And uh, he talked about that yesterday to a reporter. Let's listen to that
3: this is a hate crime against christians this was targeted at a christian school it was targeted at christian children it was targeted at christian educators because of their religious affiliation that's what police have said this wasn't random it wasn't just like she chose the shooter some random school no she chose this school because it was a christian school the police even said yesterday that she had issues with her own i think she'd been to the school had not been a student formula she had issues with the school itself and presumably their religious doctrine. So all of this is going to come out. This is why we need an investigation. And this needs to be treated for what it is, is a hate crime. And listen, we're seeing this across the country. We're seeing this hateful rhetoric directed at people of faith based on their religious beliefs all over. We're seeing this in Missouri. Uh, We're seeing this around the country. We need to be clear about this. You can say whatever you want, but you cannot incite violence. And we need to be clear that this kind of hateful rhetoric that leads to violence has got to be condemned. Federal law explicitly prohibits the targeting of Americans based on their religious affiliation, based on their religious practice or belief. It's in federal law, it's a hate crime. What police have told us in Nashville is that this was targeted, that this was targeted at this Christian school, the Christian students, the Christian employees, and that they believe it was definitely premeditated and there was a deliberate attempt to target the school. That looks like a hate crime to me. We should find out exactly what went into planning this we should find out what the influences were on the shooter you know who influenced this person what what sort of hateful rhetoric contributed to this and we we need to find out uh, the extent of exactly what happened but above all we need to be clear that when you target people of faith that is a hate crime i hope the white house will condemn this i hope that everybody will come out and say this was a hate crime we have to condemn it
0: uh well he's obviously correct about this i mean completely correct but um the, the, the problem always with this uh, subject, is, and what makes it difficult, is because the hate crime category shouldn't exist. And I'm pretty sure that—I don't want to speak for him, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Josh Hawley would agree with that. I'm, I might be wrong. Um, but at least for me, what I would say is that the, the hate crime category shouldn't exist. And I've explained many times why that's the case. It's, just, it's, it's, it's in a lot of ways incoherent. It's intentionally vague. Um, it's uh, it is intended to be sub- subjective, um, so that the powers that be can decide what qualifies, and it also just it it assumes the ability first of all to to be able to discern, you know whether someone was experiencing hate when they committed a crime, which which in many cases is, a, is a impossible because you can't see inside someone's soul. Um, and even if it is clear that there was hate, and it's pretty clear in this case that there was plenty of hate involved, um, it also assumes that hate is like the the worst possible motive for a crime, and that those who are motivated for hatred, you know, by hatred, that is a that is a, a motivation that is um, that is worse than any other motive. For that, for that reason, we have to treat it in this kind of special way. I don't think that's true either. Now, I think people who are motivated by hatred and are motivated to violence are obviously capable of doing horrific things, as we saw this week here. And um, if they are captured rather than being killed on the spot, they should face the ultimate punishment for it. But there are other things that can also motivate people to commit crimes that are just as heinous. You can be motivated by in plain indifference, uh, just your your inner emptiness as a human being and I think there's probably a lot of that going on here as well um, you can be motivated by materialism and greed you know if it's going in we look at any of these videos that unfortunately are circulating on social media all the time of someone robbing a gas station and just murdering the gas the the, uh, the guy behind the cash register for no reason what's the motive there? Did he, did he hate the guy standing behind the cash register? Probably not. But he wanted the money, so there's greed. And he was indifferent to his human life, so there's indifference. If he had killed the guy because he didn't like the color of his skin or because he didn't like a sexual orientation, would that make it worse? No, I'd say it makes it just as evil. And so it should be treated the same. So that's what makes the hate crime category. That's why it shouldn't exist. But it does. It does exist. And because it does exist, because it exists as a, as a legal concept, um, it must be applied equally. And so we have to insist on that. And that puts us in the, in the awkward position of having to say, well, this category doesn't exist. But since it does, um, you, you know, this must also fall into that category. Because if we're going to have this category then um, all of the problems with having it only become worse when it is unequally applied, which it is. And the fact that it's so unequally applied, again, is one of the reasons why it shouldn't exist to begin with. But because it does, yes, this uh, it, it, we, we, even if we are ultimately shouting at a brick wall and nothing's going to happen, we must still insist that it be applied equally. And according to the letter of the law, you know, this obviously qualifies. Based on what we already know, even without seeing the manifesto, we've already been told this was a targeted attack against a Christian school, trans person, you know, everything we need to know to, at a minimum, begin to investigate this as a hate crime. Um, this is from the Daily Wire. Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs' spokeswoman was blasted online after she tweeted an image Monday suggesting that transphobes, quote unquote, should be gunned down after an hour, af- hours after a woman who identified as transgender killed six people, including three young children, inside a Nashville Christian school. The GIF, taken from the 1980 film Gloria, tweeted by Jocelyn Berry, who's uh, Hob- Hobbes' press secretary, showed the actress uh, Gina Rowlands wielding two pistols and was captioned, Us When We See Transphobes. It was posted Monday. Even as the nation mourned the murders of three nine-year-old children and three adults, Um, this was, yeah, this was this was the same day as the shooting. So this is uh, the press secretary for the governor of Arizona. So not some obscure official. This is the press secretary, spokeswoman, um, tweeting hours after the shooting. It's on the same day, but it's hours later. So she obviously knew about it. Okay, it wasn't like this was tweeted. And um, it would have been an inappropriate tweet regardless. But it wasn't like this was tweeted 15 minutes after reports first surfaced of the shooting. And so then there'd be plausible deniability. Maybe she hadn't heard about it yet. In this case, this is hours later. It had been the top trending topic on Twitter. She's on Twitter. She knows that it happened clearly. And um, she decides to tweet an image of a person holding a gun with the message, us when we see transphobes. Now, we imagine the equivalent, right? Imagine that there is a shooting at a gay club and the press secretary for a Republican governor, let's say the the press secretary for uh, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, let's just say, tweets out an image the same day that says, you know, of the same image, someone holding a gun, and then the message is, us when we see homosexuals, okay? If that were to happen, and it never would, If that would happen, it would be, first of all, the lead story on every news broadcast. There would probably be protests in the street. And that person, most importantly, would be fired and denounced within minutes. It it wouldn't even take 15 minutes. And they would be done. Their career is over. They're not getting any other job in politics or probably anywhere else. Uh, They'd be denounced by everybody. And that would be it for them. Only in this case... The tweet remained up for hours. It was finally taken down hours later. Uh, Actually, it remained up for over a day. So over 24 hours later, it is, um, I'm not even sure if it was taken down, in fact. Instead, the press secretary put her account on private. So she locked down her account. So we don't even, we're not sure if it was deleted or not. But she locked down her account. And as it stands right now, there's been nothing said about it. The media has mostly ignored it, of course. And uh, as, as it stands right now, the latest from what I checked, no statement, no nothing. Uh, the governor of Arizona, Katie Hobbs, has not addressed it. It's not said anything about it. Hasn't denounced it. This person hasn't been fired. There hasn't been any apology. So what they're hoping they can do is just lock down the account, pretend this isn't happening, and move on from it. Now, it, it's... As always, not enough to simply point out the double standards. Okay, we can point them out, but then the next step has to be forcing them to comply by the same standard. They're not going to do it on their own. Okay, that's not something that they're just going to decide to do in the interests of fairness. They're not going to say to themselves, well, you know... uh, if this was happening on the other side, this is how we would react. So let's be consistent. Let's have integrity and be consistent here. They're not ever going to say, because they don't have integrity. And the, the double standard is part of the point here. The hypocrisy is, is the point. So they're not going to choose on their own to rectify this or hold themselves to the same standard, which means that we have to do it. We have to insist upon it. We have to demand it. Um, and it, it might take some effort. OK, like this is in, in, in the interest of holding them to their own standards, of getting rid of rather than just complaining about this double standard, of actually getting rid of it. That means that when something like this happens, we have to be persistent. Which means we don't just like send some tweets and it trends for 15 minutes and we say, oh, look at the double standard. This is outrageous. And then we move on. If we do that, then nothing changes. We have to be persistent about this. Basically, we have to put Katie Hobbs in a position where she has to decide, do you really want to go to war over this? I mean, is this, is this something you really, uh, to use their expression, they, they, they often use and, and throw it at us, Do you really want to die on this hill? Is that actually what you want? Now, we, we can't actually force her to do the right thing and fire this person. We can't force her to do it. So if she actually wanted to, like, plant her flag on the Hill and say, absolutely not, I'm I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm standing by my press secretary who tweeted this violent threat after children were just killed. If that's what she's going to do, then fine. But then we should force her to do that. What we can't allow them to do is just ignore it. Um so that starts by, and uh, we could just start with this. I'll I'll give you the number to the governor's office. In fact, I'll give you the mailing address, um, and the number. And then on the website, there's the the uh, the fax number. If you if anyone still sends faxes, if you have a fax machine, then uh, I'll give you that number too. So the mailing address is State Capitol, seventeen hundred West, Washington, Phoenix, Arizona, eight five zero zero seven, um, and then. Uh, The phone number is 602-542-4331, 602-542-4331. And if you are listening to this through some time warp from the year 1995 and you have a fax machine, 602-542-7601. So to begin with, um, we should be flooding the governor's office with phone calls demanding that this person is fired, because that is what we're demanding. Not an apology. Now, apology two but then also fired nothing less than terminating her employment will be acceptable because that's what would happen to anybody on the other side. And we're going to insist on it. In this case, this person needs to be fired. Their, their job and livelihood must be taken away from them. That's what needs to happen. And we're going to insist on it. Um, Though we should also mention, I say, this is about holding them to their own standards and not having a double standard. By any standard also, she should be fired for this. Even if the left, even if they weren't a bunch of cancel-happy, you know, people that were constantly trying to cancel people for the things that they say, you should still be fired for this. There's no standard where this would be appropriate. All right. Another article from the Daily Wire says, a nine-year-old girl who was one of the three um, schoolchildren gunned down by the Nashville shooter inside a Christian school was desperately trying to stop the massacre by pulling on a fire alarm when she was murdered, and there, as I mentioned yesterday, there have been many uh, stories and reports of heroism inside the school, um, and uh, including one of the teachers that was that was killed was apparently running towards the shooter, trying to protect her children, um, and in this case, it was uh, Evelyn who was running to pull the fire alarm to protect her her classmates and you know her school. Incredible bravery. Um, also infuriating because that little girl should not have been in a situation where she was called on to be heroic um, which is why we need armed security in all the schools. It's uh, it's incredible to hear about the stories of teachers that are rushing at shoot, unarmed teachers rushing at shooters, small children that are, acting to try to, to try to protect their classmates. Um, these are heroic acts, but they shouldn't be in a position where they have to do that. Okay. teachers shouldn't be in a position who that are, who are unarmed shouldn't be in a position of having to throw themselves at armed assailants, which is why, again, there needs to be, there need to be guns in the school guns that are carried by the good guys armed security, armed teachers, we need all of that. And that's, you know, if that's not just apparent by now to everyone, then then I, I, I don't know. At what point does it become clear? But of course, on the left, they go the other direction. Here's Randy Weingarten calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment in response to this. An epidemic that our great nation must solve. And how many lives will be shattered before we
2: have the courage to do what Scotland did, what Australia did, what New Zealand did, what other great democracies do.
0: We must solve this epidemic. And that's up to us. Yeah, uh, that is directly calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment. And, uh, and a kind of unilateral disarmament, and it's not going to happen. Um, and you, you think especially now, see, they, they the, the way it works in their twisted heads is after an event like this, they think this is a, the perfect time to make this argument. People are going to be even more receptive to the propaganda because they're afraid of, quote-unquote, gun violence. And so people are going to be even more willing to uh, lay down their arms and get rid of their guns. But of course, for rational, normal people, it's exactly the opposite. Okay, we are not, because we're Americans and we have rights and the Second Amendment does exist and it's not going to be repealed, um, we are not receptive to the idea of disarming in general. But we are the least receptive of all right after an event like this, because this only highlights yet again why we need to be armed. It's a. It's just a. It's a very simple equation. Evil exists in the world. Evil people exist in the world, and if we ever encounter them, we we don't want them to have the upper hand. That's it. That's all. Um, as from Fox News It says, reparations advocate Robin Rue Simmons told CNN that she does not know how San Francisco will pay. Uh, the uh, black residents $5 million each in reparations after successfully awarding reparations to approved residents in Evanstown, uh, Illinois. CNN's Adrian Brodus asked Simmons during an interview about how the city of San Francisco will pay black residents $5 million. Simmons says, uh, I don't know. And so those are the challenges that we all have as municipalities. Uh, I don't know. So this is the policy Uh, that we're advocating for. Well, how are you actually going to do it, though? Well, I don't know. That's the challenge. The challenge is I have no idea how to do it. Well, yeah, I guess I would agree that's a challenge. As a former uh, alderwoman-turned-activist, Simmons pushed for reparations in Evanston, which became the first city to award such restitution to black residents who qualify. Those who qualified were awarded grants up to $25,000 for a down payment on a new home, home renovations, or mortgage assistance. However, the Evanston City Council voted to approve a cash option on Monday. Um, The approval of recreational marijuana, which went into effect 2021, funded Evanston's reparations. Simmons told the outlet, it's one thing to identify a harm and prescribe a remedy. In the case of Evanston, we have been led to understand and appreciate that home rule taxes are our most viable way to fund reparations, being that they're within our purview. Ramona Burton, who's one of the 14 who received a reparations grant in Evanston, told Brodus that she uh, used the money for windows, her roof, and the chimney on her home. San Francisco's reparations committee proposed paying each black resident community $5 million, and the board of supervisors is considering the proposal. So using the example from a town where they uh, decided $25,000, they're now saying, well, you know, why not $5 million? And why not five million? I mean, why not? Why not award? Uh, why not award fifty million to each? Especially if the li- little details, like how does that even happen? How do you do that? Uh, if if that's uh, you know if these are minor concerns, if these are just minor logistical concerns. Then yeah, why not fifty million dollars? And forget about the, you know the other questions of like how how, as always, comes up when this when this uh, insane idea of reparations is. Uh, is presented. Ha- how do you determine exactly who gets it and who pays? Well, I know how they do it. You know, if they, if if you qualify as black by by their determinations, then uh, that automatically makes you uh, a you know someone who suffers from the um, hi- historical trauma of slavery, and so you get the reparations payments. And if they decide that you're white. And, you know, whoever qualifies as white, that can kind of change depending on what they need in the moments. But if they decide that you're white, then that means that you are, uh, you are somehow, you have inherited the guilt, which means that you have to pay up. Never mind the fact that, you know, there are many, many black people in this country who their families came here long after slavery was abolished. There's many, many white families in this country whose families came here long after slavery was abolished, and in fact, they came here, and their families and their ancestors were uh, were targets of discrimination and prejudice as well. Never mind all that. And also never mind the fact that, that even if uh, you can trace your lineage all the way back to slavery days, that is not in itself an argument for being able to cash in on suffering that you did not experience and depression that you did not experience. In fact, that you that you missed by uh, a century, more than a century. So none of that makes any sense. Can't explain any of it, but let's do it anyway. Sounds like a great idea. Let's get to the comment section.
2: Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's
0: a sweet baby gang. Have you tried an innumerable amount of skincare products claiming to reduce the appearance of wrinkles, lighten dark uh, under eye circles and restore a more youthful appearance? No doubt you've been disappointed. Spring is here and our friends at GenuCell have the solution for you, uh, the one that you've been looking for just as I have all these years until I found GenuCell. So for the first time ever, GenuCell is including both the ultra retinol and Dark Spot Corrector in their most popular package at GenuCell.com slash Walsh. GenuCell's Ultra Retinol uh, contains a powerful retinol alternative that is uh, safe for your skin. Their Dark Spot Corrector will help reduce sunspots. Plus, you'll still get GenuCell's world-class under-eye bags therapy to help alleviate puffiness. GenuCell promises immediate effects. You'll see results in 12 hours, guaranteed, or your money back. My show's audio engineer, Josh, has a total baby face, and the way that he keeps his skin... (laughs) Okay, we're just looking as everyone, everyone on the crew, everyone involved in the show, they all use uh, Genucel. and we love talking about it. We're always uh, talking and gabbing about uh, about Genucel. and the way that he keeps his skin looking as fresh as newly driven snow is with Genucel's wide range of products. He constantly tells me how much he loves it while hooking up my mic. It's really weird. So don't wait. Visit genuselcom slash Walsh to save over 70% off their most popular package, every order subscription, Includes a luxury gift box with two free springtime essentials just in time for warmer weather. You can go to GenuCell.com Walsh, GenuCell.com Walsh. Endor BR says, no way the legacy media will still be talking about the story by next week, regardless of any further info that comes out. Well, yeah, are you kidding? They, they'd prefer to move on from it now. I mean, they want to move on from it 15 minutes after it happened. Well, 15 minutes after they found out who perpetrated the shooting, they wanted to move on from it. And um, and they will if we let them. So this kind of goes back to the Katie Hobbs discussion. Uh, if we if we allow everyone to move on and uh, and we decide that this is going to be yet another thing that happens and matters a lot to people for 25 minutes and then they forget it ever happened. Like if we decide that if we go along with that, then uh, then that's what will happen. Which is why we can't allow that. Uh, Bob says, there is, in fact, a rational argument for not having armed security. Despite the extraordinary media attention, school shootings are still rare. Armed security is expensive. Schools are still one of the safest places for children to be, much safer than their homes. Yeah, I'm not sure by what measure you're saying that children are safer in their homes. And and also, it, it depends on the home, right? So I know... Okay, my my children are not like just subject to statistics. So I'm not going to look at. When you talk about the, the the dangers in the home, I assume you're talking about dangers of abuse and that sort of thing. Well, when I look at my own children, okay, and if if you're to if you if you're to take all the children and then all the abuse that happens and then come up with some kind of percentage, so a child is uh, whatever percent likely to experience abuse at home. But when I look at my own children, I don't say, well, they're that percent likely to experience abuse at home. No, they're zero percent likely. Because that doesn't happen in my home. So my children are safe in my home. You know, are are completely safe in my home. Aside from, you know, the possibilities of accidents and tripping and that sort of thing that can happen. But uh, my my children are safe in my home. I know that. Now, it's different, though. You send them off to school. And now the statistics do come more into play. Um, and... Now, yes, is it is it true that uh, that school shootings are still rare? Yes, but they happen, and they happen with a with a certain frequency. We know that. It's not like when I went to school. Okay, when I when I went to school, it was uh, you know Colum I I was I was in I think I was in middle school when Columbine happened, and it was like it was this unheard of earth-shattering thing. And now it's a couple times a year something like this happens. So they do happen, they happen with, with uh, you know, on, on a reoccurring basis. There is a real risk there, and that's reason enough to have security. Anything, like, uh, how, off, how common are bank robberies? It's not like uh, every bank in the country is getting robbed every day. Bank robberies are quote-unquote rare. And in fact, even if you got rid of all armed security at all banks, they would still be relatively rare because most people aren't going to rob a bank, even if the opportunity presents itself. And yet, obviously, you have security at a bank. No matter how rare it is. I mean, you, you could go, we, if we went through a period of like five years where, where no banks were robbed at all, I would still say, yeah, you should have security at the bank. why? Because there's a lot of money there, and, uh, and it's worth protecting. It would very intelli- it would be very stupid to not protect all the money and cash that you have there. To make yourself a, a soft target when you've got all that money is a bad idea. Well, the schools have our children. okay, Quite a bit more valuable. In fact, infinitely valuable, our children. and it's worth protecting. And that goes for, you know, that goes for almost any other institution, almost any other building where we are accustomed to seeing armed security and we'd be kind of disturbed if we didn't see it in any of those cases. The the chance of an attack, of a violent attack is, is, you know, relatively small. And yet you have the security anyway because the risk is still there. So, how do you decide whether there's security? I think it's you take two things into account: is there a risk of something like this happening? Okay, is there like a quantifiable risk that it could happen? And is the uh, you know whatever the whatever the security is protecting is that valuable enough to justify the expense? And when it comes to money in a bank, I would say yes. And when it comes to our children in school, I would say a million times more yes. So that, that's the argument as far as I'm concerned. Let's see. Rick Wilson says, it's going to be awesome when Matt moves over to mug club and is no longer bound by big tech rules and Jeremy Boring's capitulations to the left. I want Matt unleashed. You want me? What, what leash do you think I'm on exactly? Like what, what, what am I, of all the things that I say every single day on this show, what am I not saying? Like, what do you think I'm not saying? Uh, Believe me, I, I whatever comes to my mind, I simply just say. You know, if I if I if, if I believe that it's something that needs to be said, I will just say it, and uh, and that's it. Jeff says, what do you make of the reports about a child sex abuse scandal at Covenant? There are rumors that the shooter may have been a victim seeking revenge. So yeah, I um I have seen this, and I'm only acknowledging it because I've seen this circulating on social media. Uh, people that are you know doing the detective thing, the detective work, and so the. The, the narrative that some people are passing around on social media is that there was a child sex abuse scandal at this school years ago and uh, so maybe the shooter was a victim and was looking for revenge because of that Now there, there's no evidence at all that the shooter was a victim no evidence of that it's just a, it's speculation and this speculation has um, has become rather widespread on social media anyway. Now what do I make of it? I think uh, I think it's just that. I think it's I think it's total speculation, no evidence at all, and I think it's completely implausible as well. I think it's completely implausible that this was the mo- the motive for the crime. Because she wasn't, you know, usually with revenge, you're going after the person who did a terrible thing to you. She went and killed children. So her revenge for being abused as a child was to kill children. She didn't kill anyone who would have been responsible for doing this. And that's usually what revenge is. And then also there's the fact that, um, which is not taken into account by the people that are engaging in this uh, speculation, there's also the fact that the police have told us that she had other targets in mind. She had other targets in mind, and she settled on this target because it didn't have security, because it was a soft target. We were told that directly. She was going to go somewhere else and didn't because it had security, so she went here. So that alone, I think, debunks this, this whole theory. So what we know is that it was targeted at this school, but also there were, there were other targets that she would have gone to. So what does that tell us? It tells us that, that, that there's something about this kind of school that she was going after, but it may not have been this exact school that she got. So in other words, she wanted a Christian school. And there might have been other Christian schools that she would have targeted, but she decided not to, and she went with this one. That's what that tells me. You know, I'll never understand virtue signaling. Making yourself look important with the least amount of effort, it's, uh, it's like the reputation equivalent of stolen valor. And reputation is just one of the things that Jordan Peterson discusses with his roundtable group of scholars and theologians in the latest episode of Exodus. Check this out. I don't think... when We've talked in our culture a lot about virtue signaling. It's not exactly a great phrase
3: because really what you're trying to do when you virtue signal is you're trying to acquire reputation that you haven't earned. Mm -hmm. And the reason that people are so motivated to do that
0: is because once you can abstract an ethic, there's actually nothing that's more valuable than your reputation, right? It's the thing upon which all the trades that you... Engage uh, in engaging with everyone else depends, right? You're as good
3: as your reputation, and so if you can get that falsely, it's a real crime. And if you can savage it without cause, it's an equally egregious crime. And worse, that's why psychopaths I, much worse, do it so often, and so narcissists and. I'm and surely that's types. much worse, though, Jordan. It, it, to to have an an ill-gotten. Reputation—that's bad. Mm-hmm. But to take away someone's actually earned reputation—I know that there, are, in no certain
0: sense, two it's sides. It's a battle of this,
3: between two, devils. Two sides That's of the, for the same sure.
0: coin. Well, new episodes are coming uh, online every week, exclusive for Daily Wire Plus members. Join now at DailyWire.com/slash/subscribe to watch Exodus. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today, we cancel a woman named Laura Jadid, who identifies herself in her Twitter bio as a freelance journalist. She has apparently been paid, I assume she was paid anyway, to write for publications like New York Magazine and Rolling Stone. And if you're wondering what sort of stories she chases down, what kind of journalistic investigations she conducts, well, um, here's her latest expose. Okay, she she poured through years of my tweets and other posts uh, going back to 2012 to find out how I responded to previous mass shootings and to compare those responses to what I've said about the Covenant school shooting. And the results are shocking, or shocking to her anyway, apparently. So she thinks, she, she, she thinks she's thinks got me here. She thinks she, she has something, something big. It's just not clear what exactly that is. So let's go through this thread uh, together. Laura writes, quote, good morning. Let's compare Matt Walsh's reaction to the Nashville Covenant school shooting with other shootings that involve the murder of very young children. She provides some screenshots of my tweets over the past few days. It's all right in line with what you've heard me say on the show. I talk about how, you know, I have nine-year-old children myself. I can't imagine the pain of losing them. I say that we should always remember what happened at Covenant School. I talk about the, the danger posed by trans extremists um, and all of that, all that you've heard me cover. Now she moves to the past. Quote, Uvalde, Texas, 524, 2022 19 elementary school children, two teachers dead. Only a soulless piece of shit would politicize the shooting of elementary school children, Perpetrators should burn in hell. Armed security is the answer. Here she's summarizing accurately what I tweeted in response to that shooting. She continues, Parkland, Florida, 214-18. 17 dead, most between 14 and 18. Walsh, do not politicize this. Don't make this about mental illness. Have you read this great speech? LOL, Valentine's Day. Walsh posted the Valentine's Day tweets after he retweeted the news item on the shooting. So here she summarizes again, uh, less accurately, in the screenshots, you see that I, I sent a tweet calling for armed security in schools. I make the point that a government building that houses our children should be protected, just like we protect almost any other government building. I also talk about the problem of human evil. You know, how this, com- this comes down uh, not, not merely to mental illness but or policy failure, but to evil. Uh, she screenshots this tweet of mine, evil is everywhere. Uh, this is me now. Evil is everywhere, around us and within us. It may make us feel safer to pretend it's a political issue or a policy issue, but we are fooling ourselves. And then there's a tweet about, uh, of mine about fatherlessness and how that contributes to violence as well. Continuing to the next part of Laura's thread, uh, she writes, quote, 12-year-old Tamir Rice's murder at the hands of a policeman in 2014 wasn't a school shooting, but he was only three years old, older than the nine-year-olds who died in Tennessee. Let's see what Matt Walsh had to say about that. What's that? Nothing? Just tweets about BLM writ large? Cool. Walsh didn't have a Twitter account in 2012 when Adam Lanza killed 26 people at Sandy Hook Elementary School, But here's some of the stuff that he wrote on his blog. And she here provides a screenshot of a blog post that I wrote where I talk about the futility of gun control. She ends her thread with this. At no point during my combing through Matt Walsh's disgusting Twitter feed this morning have I found a single expression of howling grief at the genuine horror of children dead at the barrel of a gun, at least not until a trans person killed them. Now, Laura's Twitter followers have championed her investigative work on this issue, celebrating this as a damning report that exposes my rank hypocrisy and fraudulence. Here are a few few reactions from leftists responding to or sharing this thread. This is what they're saying. Uh, Quote, an incredibly obvious conclusion can be made here, and that's that people have agendas. This is a smoking gun for Matt Walsh and all the conservatives acting like they really care about the issue at hand. Another says, thread of proof that Matt Walsh is a bigoted, Nazi-loving monster who cares about nothing but pushing his own fear-mongering trite. I think they mean tripe. Uh, another one, a thread which more than proves that Matt Walsh is a hypocritical craven bloodsucker who exploits tra- exploits tragedies for his own self-satisfaction and need for clout. Another one says this should disqualify Matt Walsh in every argument he attempts to make. Another one, this thread is an incredible breakdown of how inconsistent a far-right extremist like Matt Walsh is when discussing the horrifying loss of children's lives during, due to shootings, especially when he feels he can exploit it for his own transphobic crusade. Now, meanwhile, people with IQs somewhere above refrigerator temperatures are left confused. I mean, where exactly is the disqualifying hypocrisy? Where is the incredible inconsistency they think they've found? Because what she's really discovered here is that I've been saying the same things about these tragedies, making the same kinds of points, hammering the same themes over and over again for years. She has exposed Not my inconsistency, but my consistency. She has gone through my closet in search of skeletons and discovered instead 50 versions of the same flannel shirt, basically, which is actually what you would find in my real closet. And this is supposed to make me look dishonest for reasons that remain quite mysterious. I'm not even feigning ignorance here for comedic effect. I I honestly don't know exactly where she or the left is sharing this thread. Imagine the hypocrisy is. She says that I only expressed grief over the murder of the children at uh, Covenant School, but not over any of these other shootings. Yet, you can see my expressions of grief about those other shootings in the very tweets that she screenshots. Also, since we're going back to 2012 to read my obscure blog, which uh, I was writing as a no-name small market radio host, here's what I posted on the day that the Sandy Hook massacre happened. And, and Laura conveniently forgot to mention this. She went all the way back to see what I wrote about Sandy Hook massacre. Well, it turns out, and I did not even remember writing this, I wrote something on the day that it happened, a direct response to it, and here's what I said. This is a day when I hate my job. I don't want to go on the air and talk about 26 people being killed in an elementary school. I don't want to talk about 18 children being slaughtered by a cowardly, satanic piece of worthless filth. I have no commentary to offer on this. I have nothing but anger and confusion, and I have prayers. I pray not only for the families of the children who have been stolen from the world, but I pray for all of us. I pray that God will heal this nation because we are deeply spiritually broken. Evil is very present among us. Don't ask if we can have if we have enough laws or enough medication or too many guns or too many video games. Ask why there is so much evil in this country. That's the question. I don't have the answer, but I know God is the solution. So, that's what I wrote at the time. That's me expressing grief, that's me pointing to the problem of evil and spiritual decay. That's me saying that the solution cannot be found through policy changes or psychiatric medication. That's me saying exactly what I always say about these things. That's me saying everything that I said on this show yesterday about the Covenant school shooting over a decade later and saying the same things. Presumably, Laura would claim that the real hypocrisy is in the fact that, uh, you know, um, I'm decrying the politicization of school shootings in the past and yet have called, called out the violence of radical trans activists in response to this latest shooting. And it's true, you know, I... I do oppose the politicization of school shootings while also opposing the rampant hate and violence in the gender ideology movement. I hold both of those views and they are not in conflict with one another. As I outlined yesterday in great detail, trans activists regularly call for violence They regularly engage in intimidation, emotional blackmail, harassment, threats, etc. They feel entitled to act out this way. And they are implicitly and sometimes explicitly given permission to do so. And I think that that is a bad thing. I think that this will will and does result in chaos and bloodshed because it's designed to. Okay, that's not my political view. It's not something I'm saying to score political points, which is what it means to politicize something. I'm saying it because it's the cold reality of the situation. The gender ideology movement is, once again, the most hateful and violent movement in America, and it's not even close. If this is a political statement, well, that's only because one political party, the Democrat Party, has decided to attach itself to this movement and act as its mouthpiece and enforcement mechanism. That's not my fault. I didn't tell Democrats to sell their souls to the gender cult. They did that on their own. So, yes, I am opposed to trans terrorists slaughtering children. I am opposed to politicians using mass shootings to score political points. Uh, I am opposed to, to trying to solve the problem of human evil with gun control policies. I don't think it can be sufficiently addressed with psychiatric medication, which I think very often can do more harm than good. I believe that we're a, a state, you know, in a state of cultural rot and decay. I believe that there's an emptiness and hopelessness at the core of so many people in our society. And this is what fundamentally drives them to commit these heinous acts of evil. I think the collapse of the nuclear family is a huge part of this equation. I think we need a spiritual revival in this country. I think all of these things have always thought them, have always said them, will continue saying them. Which may make me boring, and it may make me predictable. Certainly doesn't make me a hypocrite, though. But it does make you, Laura, today, canceled. And that'll do it for this portion of the show. As we move over to the uh, members block, you can become a member today and use code Walsh at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.